Hello and welcome to the Sacred City Life Podcast. This is your host, Pastor Justin Dean, and this podcast is all about helping you follow Jesus in the everyday, normal rhythms of life. On this podcast with me today, the boys are back in town. Gentlemen, would you introduce yourself? How's it going, guys? Alex Tate, Sacred City Youth Director. Kevin Knorr, Pastoral Assistant. And Rob Spexter, Pastor of Discipleship. All right. Well, we are trying to get our feet back under us, get back in the rhythm. Uh, we have heard from you. We know you have been, uh, some of you, you know, have been anxiously awaiting the return of this podcast. And um, we have got a lot of good episodes in store. I was just telling the guys, I've got quite a few things uh, I've been working on and writing, and I'm really excited to uh, get into those. Um, but today, we want to um, talk about the 2022 Ligonier State of Theology report that came out. Now, um, what this State of Theology report is, it's basically answer the questions, what do Americans believe about God, salvation, ethics, and the Bible? It's put out by uh, Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Researched, and they do this every two years, and basically they're taking the theological temperature of the United States Mm -hmm. to help Christians better understand today's culture, and then to equip the church with better insights for discipleship. So as we come to understand what our wider culture believes about God, and even what evangelicals believe about God, It enables theologians, it enables pastors, it enables MC leaders, parents even, to better disciple their children. Because you're understanding um, the trends in the culture, where things are moving, and so you can kind of head that off before before your kid gets bad or whatever, before it gets bad, and you can directly address it. Because some of us say, well, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Well, our behavior flows out of our beliefs. Yeah. So our theology informs our practice. Okay. So that we call it orthodoxy uh, informs our orthopraxy. So right doctrine, right practice, right? Well, if we have, if we're even a little bit off in some of these beliefs, they can lead to um, catastrophic moral failures, catastrophic parenting failures, catastrophic uh, church planting failures, all, all, Preaching all kind of different things, it can lead they can lead someone literally um, into the destruction of their own soul. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing some very interesting trends that are taking place in both the wider society and most of these and several of these trends. They're they're also being mimicked by the evangelical church. Mm-hmm. So maybe not as intensely, maybe not as um, you know as much, but they're still you're seeing the evangelical church being influenced by some of these beliefs. So we, we are, hopefully you've got the, the report in front of you guys. You guys can look at it. What, what, when you read this report, when I said this to you, what jumped out at you? What, what surprised you? Well, I'll tell you what first surprised me. Well, it all, what the, and obviously we don't have the whole report in front of us. They have the ones that are highlighting the, the as you said, mimicking somewhat the, uh, what evangelicals are mimicking in terms of our society. But as I went through the report, I was, I was um, asking the question, okay, wait a minute, I'm not identifying with these evangelicals. So I wanted to know what, who are they identifying as evangelicals? You know, what, what's kind of the, the sieve 
of which they are being pushed through. And thankfully, at the end of the report, it did give me that. So, because mm. I thought there's no way uh, I can relate to these people. But then when I read the four questions mm-hmm. that they 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 ask and were to answer strongly agree, I I I have to say it almost took more of the wind out of my cells when I realized that these are people who I would typically identify with in terms of those four questions. So let's just define that term. Evangelical, that's taken from the word evangel, which is gospel. Mm -hmm. So this is meant to be, uh, when we started using the term evangelical, it was meant to be born-again Christians. And here's how, here's the four categories they use. One, and these people... Now, these people are responding to the affirmative. It does not mean that they're actually practicing this. We don't know. Anytime you take a survey, it's just Mm -hmm. what people say. Well, and I I just want to point out, they strongly agreed. Yeah. So this Mm -hmm. is not just kind of agreed. They strongly agreed with these four statements. They strongly agreed that the Bible is the highest authority for what I believe. Okay? Amen? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Amen. (laughs) They strongly believe that it is very important for me personally to encourage non-Christians to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. So... They strongly agree that evangelism is important. Yep. Yeah. Okay. They strongly agree that Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the only sacrifice that could remove the penalty of my sin. Yeah. Okay. Amen. The mm-hmm. gospel is the only way to salvation. Mm-hmm. They strongly believe only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. All right. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> so, these are... I'm going to say this, gospel-centered Christians. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gospel-centered. All, is the Bible true? Yes. Is it the main foundation for what I believe? Yes. Is it very important for me to uh, evangelize people? Yes. Is the gospel the only way to be saved? Yes. Um, only those who trust in Christ will receive God's eternal gift of salvation? Yes. Okay? Yeah. Now, what I want us to see is, listen, that is not enough. <laughs> that is enough to believe and go to heaven when you die. But Jesus speaks a, a lot about a whole lot more things. And what we're seeing is people that agree with that gospel-centered statement, they're not agreeing and they're with a lot of other things that the Bible is very clear on. Yeah. Okay? And that's leading to a lot of social confusion, confusion a lot of uh, confusion in parenting, confusion in identity, Confusion in what's right, what's wrong, mm-hmm. what's good, what's bad, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, okay? so this is, I, when I put in the, my margins right after I read those four statements, I put in big disconnect. So there's a big disconnect from the understanding really of what we might say justification, how we're justified before God, and sanctification, of which, which is important that we state that the gospel, we never move away from the gospel. So yeah. even after we have rested and trusted in Christ as our Lord and Savior, the gospel still is important for us to be then looking at what does it mean to be like God, to be sanctified, to be more and more like him. And I think what we're seeing here is we're seeing a pretty big disconnect between uh, the gospel in terms of justification and sanctification. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to tease that out a little bit as well. Yeah. And I would say statements. this is also the difference between Jesus Christ as my Savior and Jesus Christ as my, my Lord. Lord. Yeah, mm. right. Like there are many that have separated that yeah. and they see him as Savior, but not Lord of the universe, Lord yeah. of the cosmos, Lord of my life, mm. Lord of the country, Lord of the nation, Lord, Lord of the nations. Yeah, right, right. Mm. right. So uh, any, anybody else, anything jump out at you, anything stand out at you as you first read this that, that you guys want to... I'll bring up before we get into some of the details on it? I think the more you look at it, it's like our, we have to 
sharpen up our apologetics, right? We have to learn what it looks like to truly defend the faith in all areas. And uh, as Christians, um, it seems like a lot of us haven't uh, dove into our, our Bibles on a wider and deeper level compared to some of these stats that yeah. we have here. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very easy for us to think our theology is nailed down or yeah. finished or like mm-hmm. I kind of get it. I read a systematic theology one time or maybe I just mm-hmm. have been an MC long enough that I yeah. think I get it. Mm-hmm. And we don't realize that the culture is constantly coming up with new philosophies yeah. that are influencing people and that we have to keep up in countering those. Yeah, like for sure. Sh- taking every thought captive and proving that the Christianity is better than this mm-hmm. and, and not letting those worldly philosophies take us captive and yeah. infiltrate the church. Mm-hmm. And and in some ways, <clears throat> it's very clear that that has been happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, as we dig into this, I mean, you'll see that like it's not that the scriptures are changing; the culture is is changing. Um, but at the same time, like the gospel should be moving in every area of our life, and we got to know where to search the scriptures to be able to see where um, scripture applies to every situation that um, that does come up. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so immediately we we see here one of the things that you most people are probably not aware of is a branch of theology called open theism and process theology and those what's important for us to understand about that is historically christians have always believed christians have believed that god does not change Mm. god is who he is he is omniscient he is omnipotent Um, god does not change and Jesus Christ was the same yesterday, today, and forever. But when asked the question, does God change? 51% of U.S. adults says, yeah, yeah, you know, he learns, he grows, he adapts to things, uh, he responds to things, he can learn, right? And 48% of evangelicals agreed. Yes. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, that a God that can change. I mean, our theology falls apart. If God, our world falls apart. Yeah, for if sure. If God could, God could change, right? One of the reasons two plus two equals four forever and always is because God doesn't change yeah. and God made the world a certain way, right? And so this um, open theism basically believes that God doesn't know the future. And mm-hmm. so he's constantly responding to what we do. Mm-hmm. Now this, again, this is coming out of man, mankind, the, the belief that mankind has absolute free will mm-hmm. and I am in control of my choices and therefore God can't know the future because if God knew the future, then I couldn't have free will. Well, that's not what scripture teaches. Scripture teaches God absolutely knows the future. He knows mm-hmm. what you're going to do and he's in control of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you're trying to psych a God out. Like you're trying to psych him out. <laughs> it's like that doesn't work that way. No, it doesn't work that way. Um, and then process theology is very similar um, to, to open theism mm-hmm. and that God does not uh, know the future, right? God is kind of growing and changing and um now this is directly against scriptures that claim that god is you know omniscient and immutable he never changes and um but it's 
it's growing in the United States, and it's I can't believe almost half of U.S. Evangel- mm-hmm. evangelicals believe that God can change. Yeah, the problem with problem with believing that He can change is, is that then every promise that He has given to us really is not guaranteed in the sense that, well, He may be able to fulfill His promise, but He if He doesn't know what that future is, and in your case, in an individual's case or cultural case. We, you know, you, you never know if, what promises we can rely upon, what promises we can't rely upon. Uh, I think with process theology, the focus there is not just on his omniscience, but also on his omnipotence. So that oh, means yes, his yeah, power. That's right. that's right. And so he doesn't always have the power. He's got to kind of change. You know, it's almost like his power is limited, and thus he has to kind of respond with a certain amount of power in one direction and another direction. So it's uh, so again. Uh, so, so what we so love about scripture and what we so love about being able to go to it in times of difficulty and challenge is that we know that God has promises for us, but this really undermines those promises. Absolutely. So the process the- theologian would say that God, God wants to heal the world. God wants yes. to solve your problems. God wants to do all these things, but he does, he's not capable. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't right. have the power to be able to do that. Right. And so he's growing, he's learning, he's, exp- you know, yeah. he, he, and it's the same um, it, it's, it's making mankind to fit the world that our fallen eyes see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So our fallen eyes see a world that's got genocide, the world that's got rape, a world that's got hunger and poverty. And, it, and, and our fallen eyes would see that world and say, oh, God must not, either God doesn't care or God's not power, powerful enough to stop it. Mm-hmm. And the process theologian says, no, 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 no. God's just not powerful enough. Mm-hmm. He just can't do it yet, but, you know, maybe one day he will, and he's making us better, and we'll do it, or whatever. And so, what we need to see is how dangerous this theology is, because both of them, open theism and process theology, or just answering the question, does God change, it shrinks God down to something less than he is. It, yeah. it really takes away the glory of God. I mean, it, mm. this is a, a, this kind of theology is a sin against God, because it, it says... He's either not powerful or he's not all-knowing, right? Mm-hmm. And like what you were saying, another piece with, with this, if God changes, what parts of his word can I believe? And not just the promises, but like the commands. Hmm. Oh, I know God, he said you couldn't do that back then, mm-hmm. but now God, you know, we're, we've evolved or whatever. Mm-hmm. We're, we've, we're so much smarter. We've got all this information. God's... God's opinion on it has probably changed as well. Right. Instead of going to the scriptures and just drawing a line and saying, what does the Bible say? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Process theologians like to say, well, it's an evolving text. Mm-hmm. Right? The, the Bible set a trajectory of liberation or a trajectory towards more feministic doctrines or more egalitarian doctrines or more even like homosexuality. It set a trajectory and we're meant to follow that trajectory. It's not a document that's rooted in time and it's settled, mm-hmm. right? And th- what's interesting is this, that's, a more, that's a liberal way of interpreting the, t- the Bible. It's the same way that liberals interpret the Constitution. Mm-hmm. And conservatives interpret the Constitution. What does it say? What does it enumerate? What rights does it enumerate? Well, let's go back to the text. Liberals interpret the Constitution as Constitution as a beginning point that was meant to continue on, mm-hmm. right? And we want to be 
contextualists. We want to be people that go back to the text and say, what does the text say? Yeah. God, and God does not change. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think an important thing to recognize here is that both of these, open theism and process theology, which is, is, which is really a formal systematic statement of, of, of a belief that really came out of practical theology. In other words, uh, these, these formal statements really came out as people were struggling with, well, here's evil. Why does evil still exist? And, you know, and, and we can all appreciate the struggle and the strain of, of trying to understand how it is that uh, you know, pain and suffering and, and evil still exist within, within our world. And the reason I want to bring this up or point this out is that uh, we, we may not fall off that far in terms of deciding we're going to become open theists or process theologians, right? But what can happen to the everyday, ordinary Christian like me um, is that I can begin to interpret uh, what God's Word has to say based upon my experience of God's Word. And the problem with that is, is I'm fallen, yeah. I'm fallible, I'm going to, be, I'm going to misinterpret my my circumstances uh, to you know, and, and make a god after my own image. Ultimately, mm-hmm. is what I'm doing. Yeah. So I think it's I think it's important as we're as we're looking at this survey is that um, this we can we can personally in this room or on our, our listeners um, the ordinary you know godly Christian can easily fall off because we become practical theologians, meaning we look at our world and say, I don't know. And instead of going back to what you said is we need to keep going back to the word of God and God's word reminds us what is true and how we shouldn't be, how we should be interpreting our circumstances. Yeah, I agree. I think, so the, this next question has, I think has the the greatest implications in our society. And it's one of the Mm. reasons Mm -hmm. um, for the division, the way that, those, those more in the in, in a conservative camp that, and when I say conservative, I mean biblical conservatism here that believe the Bible is the Word of God, understanding on the Word of God, and and those who are more liberal or unbelievers, and that is, are children born innocent? Mm. Are children born innocent? Now, in there's different ways to interpret that question. We would all agree that children who are in the mo- their mother's womb and who have, are just being born, they have never committed actual sin, right? So they are innocent in that way. But that's not what the question... The question is, are, are they without sin? The question is, are they born without original sin? Are they innocent metaphysically? Is that right? Is that the right word there? Or mm-hmm. what's, the right, what's the right word there? Um are they, with, are they without sin? That's how I'm going to say it. Um, the Bible teaches us the concept of original sin, which means since Adam's fall, every human being is born inherently sinful. So we say around here, we are sinners. We yeah. are born sinners, and therefore we sin, mm-hmm. right? That We are not sinless and then become sinners, right? Mm-hmm. We are by sinning, right? We yeah. are sinners, and we therefore sin. Now, listen to this. 71% of adults agree that children are born innocent. Okay? What implications do you think that would have on a person's parenting? Hmm. Well, certainly, 
um, I, I, if you if you believe that, then you're going to um, you want to you're going to want to parent well because uh, it'll be they'll they'll become sinners by how they're influenced. In other okay. words, it'll be it'll be they'll be nurtured into sinning. Yes. So it is going to affect how you think you ought to parent so that you you nurture your child in such a way that they won't sin. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that's one way it, it can affect it. Now, um, an old dead philosopher who was awful, uh, his name was Rousseau, he came up with this idea of the noble savage. And the noble savage is the idea that children are born innocent. Let me say it like this. Children are born perfect. And the reason they go bad is because of the society around them. Okay? Sure. Mm-hmm. And one of the key reasons is what you said is their parents. So in his, in his worldview, he thought, well, how can we change the world? We've got to get rid of these parents. We've got to, I mean, we have to have social constructs. So, so all sin comes out of social constructs, this kind of idea. Mm-hmm. Or if we could just free these children from these abusive and domineering and religious parents, these kids would grow up and they, and they wouldn't you know, be confined in their sexuality. They wouldn't be narrow-minded. They would be liberal and open-minded, and everybody would be happy. Now, Rousseau was a horrible human being. Several children out of wedlock, gave them all up for adoption, just dropped them off um, at, the, uh, at the orphanage. He was a horrible human being. But this philosophy that humans are born innocent affects so much of the way that we parent today and the way our government tries to um, become a pseudo-parent. Our society believes that the only reason we, that people are narrow-minded when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to LGBTQ+, is because of parental involvement. And so why do librarians want all of these pro-LGBTQ+, I mean, pornographic books, not every librarian, but many of them, the liberal ones, want them in the school, want them to, to, to introduce them lower and lower and lower grades because they believe as experts, they know more than their parent. They know more than that child's parents. And they want to, in, they want to inform that child. This is why you have in liberal states, children wants, wanting to transition genders. These teachers are trying to prevent the, the school from notifying parents about this behavior. This child wants to be identified as such and such. The, Many of the teachers don't want to identify the parents. Why? They see the parents as what's wrong. Mm-hmm. They see the parents as the one that's creating these narrow-minded, um, sinful people, mm-hmm. right? Whereas the Christian worldview says these are born sinners, and here's one, and the rod of discipline is meant to drive foolishness from the child, yeah. right? So our role as parents... In version one, where they're the noble savage, our role as parents is just to help them find who they are and become that. You know, they're already perfect, so we just kind of stay out of the way and let them let the, let this little flower bloom. And this little flower is bo- will bloom, and it needs hardly any involvement from us. And they're going to become this perfect human being, mm. right? Anyone who knows anything about parenting knows if you parent like that, you will create a monster. You will create an absolute selfish yeah. mm-hmm. monster. 
The biblical worldview says, no, there's a whole lot of foolishness bound up in that child. There's sin bound up in that child, and that sin needs to be rebuked. That sin needs to be disciplined. That that, that child needs instruction. That foolishness needs, needs to be driven out. And they need to be taught the Word of God. They need to be taught what's wise and good and what's true and what's beautiful. Hmm. It's interesting because that then explains why there is this push for education as a means to somehow, uh, you know, if, if we just educated people correctly or rightly in the context of, you know, the government telling us, you know, kind of what we should believe that that would then create a, a, a society, a, a flourishing society, if you will. Um, and, and so, so, which is also why it's, I now understand a little bit more of um, when there were school districts that were and school boards that were pretty much telling parents, get out of the way. Yep. We know what we're doing. We're the experts. We're credentialed, mm-hmm. you know, so forth and so on. Uh, as a, you know, I'm just trying to understand it as a means of, hey, this is the best for, this, this is the best for the children. Yeah. We're the experts, and we know what's best for your children. Yeah, yeah. And many of those experts, you look at their children, and you're like, uh, you don't know what's right for your child. How you right. think? How are you yeah. going to get think? Yeah. And it's some of it is just elitism, but it's it's from this idea huh. that rooted back in, in 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 the noble savage by Rousseau that the parents are the problem. Society is what's making people this way. Now, we know society does influence people. It does help. It does shape. Education matters. It shapes. Mm -hmm. But we're born sinful. So there is... So, again, again, all of these human philosophies end with some kind of utopia, Mm -hmm. like without Christ as king. You know, if we just get rid of the parents and we can just, you know, get rid of sexual mores and sexual normalcy and get rid of the patriarchy, if we could just get rid of male-female binaries, we can just get rid of all of these things, then then now we'll be free, Mm -hmm. right? And you're you're tearing down all of these structures and you don't realize that you're just it's like you're on a boat and you and you think this boat is confining me this boat is restricting my freedom and you just start kicking holes in the walls and kicking holes in the bottom and ripping things up and tearing down sails and nobody can tell me who I am and then you've got a plank left and yep. you're floating in the middle of the ocean absolutely free on a plank you know and it's like Good luck with that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting because as we're sitting here and as you're talking about this and laying out the utopia, it's it's super clear to me. It's like, okay, so what, what you're saying, the vision of utopia is if we could only make a name for ourselves, right? Which is Babel. Power of Babel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, just classic. If we could just do what was right in our own eyes, it'll go well for us. Yeah. That is not the story of human history. But well, we, I just just think about it philosophically like if everyone's saying i want to do what's right in my own eyes oh yeah who wants to be that person's neighbor yeah <laughs> you know what i mean he comes over and takes your lawnmower you know, you know, i needed that stealing your mail off yeah. your, you know, your packages off your yeah. off your porch like yeah that's but we're not thinking consistently mm-hmm. we don't mm. think consistently we are a foolish generation who's thrown out the wisdom of the centuries and we think we can re- reinvent mm-hmm. humanity in in our or in, and god yeah. In our own image. Yeah. Well, now, now let's get back to our question here because the question is, are we born innocent? You you gave us the 71% of U.S. adults oh, yeah, agree. Bad. Now, tell us about the... You tell us. Okay, I, I, well, I do I have to? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, okay, so we had 71% of U.S. adults agreeing that everyone is born innocent. U.S. evangelicals, 
65% no. agree. No. Yes. Tell me it ain't so. 65%. We're only, what, 6% away from what the adult U.S. Here, I'm going to make a bold terms. statement here. Wow. That's two-thirds of ev- evangelicals. Yeah. Two-thirds. Yeah, that's right. What does that mean? That means they're not getting taught the Bible. Yeah. I don't even know if you can understand the gospel if you don't know you were born in sin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. That you were born in sin. Like that Jesus had to die for you before you committed sin. Well, mm-hmm. you can't you can't rightly make the claim that number one on that list, the Bible is the highest authority. For my life, life, yeah. Right. You cannot make that claim if you do not believe in sin. Or yeah. if you if you don't well, understand it. No, I would say you can make that claim. Well. It just doesn't make sense. Because mm-hmm. yeah. you're like, I totally believe this book that I haven't read. I totally believe this book that I've read a few verses out of, or I've read the Gospels. It is probably the best book I've never read. Yeah, yeah. and I base my life totally on it, even though I don't know what's inside mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. So you can make the claim, but you're definitely not consistently consistent. So this concerns me about, I mean, I would just say two, if you just take these numbers, that means two-thirds of pastors, two-thirds of mm-hmm. churches are not teaching the doctrine of sin. Yeah. And, and that, it didn't make sense to me because most men and most people are too afraid of the bad news. They don't want to tell the bad news. They don't want to say the bad side of the gospel, you know, the bad news of the gospel. They want only to offer forgiveness and offer hope, right? So they only share, Jesus died for your sins. And, and, and that's why people don't, they're not really moved by it. Yeah. Because they don't realize it's not just those three things that you thought were sins that you did. Mm-hmm. Those three things that you can't get over, that you're ashamed of. It's Everything. It's you are a sinner by nature. You yeah. deserve the wrath of God because mm-hmm. you are and you were born an enemy of God, right? Yeah. And what did God do? He came and pursued you as His enemy, and transformed you, caused you to be born again through the power of His Word and the Gospel and the Spirit, and He made you into a son or He made you into a daughter. Yeah. It makes you want to worship, right? Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> you hear that? <laughs> but if you, if you don't, I'm, I was born good, and then you know my parents messed me up a little bit, and so then. You know, most of it's their fault, so I don't really, I don't really need to repent for that. But then those three times that I lied, or that three, you know, when I did that bad thing, I, God, I do need a little help for that. Would you yeah. let me get help me get over that? Mm-hmm. And then, oh well, thanks, cool. Oh, I guess I don't really need to go to church tomorrow. You know, I feel pretty good. Like, yeah, you. I don't need community to help me he out. He who has been forgiven much mm-hmm. loveth much. That's yeah. what Jesus says, yeah. right? So if I think I've only been forgiven a little, I won't love God very much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, which makes sense why. These people can say Jesus is their lo- their savior, but he's not their Lord. Right. Right. So, um, hopefully, Sacred City, we would res- our results would be a lot higher. Okay, that we would know we are not born innocent. Now, the next one I want to jump down to is the Bible, because I think it kind of undergirds all of this, yeah. um, and it's just the question is, or uh, the statement is, the Bible like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. Okay? The Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. So this is kind of pluralism. If you know what that is, this is, yeah, there's some good stuff in Islam, there's some good stuff in the Bible, there's some good stuff in all these in Jewish texts and all these different other texts and all these other different religions and they've all got a little bit of the truth but they're not literally true so like 
did Jesus literally rise from the dead? Or mm. did Moses literally split the Red Sea? Did Jesus literally walk on water? Oh, no, no, no. That's just meant to teach. Those are meant to teach us moral lessons. Mm. Okay? Um, and now this is, this is, if you understand surveys, from 2014, in 2014, 41% of U.S. adults would say, yeah, yeah, that's true. It's, it's just a myth. It's not literally true. And now, eight years later, and eight years is not very long. When you're taking, like, sociological surveys, eight years is, is yeah. nothing. But in 2022, 53% now agree with that statement. So it went up 12%. Mm -hmm. 12% in eight years. So the majority of people believe that the Bible is not literally true. Did we have a... Uh, I don't think I had that one, did I? That was just a U.S. adult. I didn't have an evangelical so on that one. So farther down. The evangelical number is 26% agree. And so in 2016, it was 17%. So even then, we're up 10%. Not 10%, yeah. yeah. It's not a small... Not so a, a quarter a quarter of evangelicals. Oh, yeah. goodness Lord. A quarterness, a quarter, a quarterness. <laughs> a quarter of evangelicals believe that the Bible is not literally true. Well, then... How are you saved from your sins? Yeah. If Jesus did not literally rise from the dead, yeah. how are you saved from your sins? Oh. Well, and I suppose what, uh, trying to kind of think how you would think this through, if, if you didn't, if you said, you know what, I, I don't think it's literally true, I think you now are in a position of having to pick and choose what you do say is literally true. So I might be able to say, oh yeah, yes, Jesus, of course he rose from the dead. I understand the importance of that. Of course he did, but I don't pick this one or I don't pick this oh. one, you know, kind of a thing. So what... What that subtly is doing is is that maybe you're picking some key ones. Thank you very much. You're picking a few of the key ones. But um, what it's doing is subtly putting you in a position of being the authority over or the deciding, the deciding factor of what is going to be true and not true. Mm. And the problem with that is, is that when you get into the, 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 the push and shove and the fight over faith in your own life in terms of the fight of faith in terms of sin... Uh, I begin choosing, I, I, I begin to crumble, you yeah. know, because I am, I'm not able, I'm, you, you know how it is when I mean, you're tempted with sin. It, it's, it gets at your, you know, your emotions, it gets at your, your, your body, it, it, you know, you've got the enemy against us. Mm -hmm. it, it causes you to crumble under its, its weight until all of a sudden you're choosing more and more of the word of God not to, ah, that's not it's really true. That's, that's not, not good. Yeah, that's for me good. in this day and age. So think about this how subversive that mentality is. Oh yeah, the Bible's not literally true. All of it's not literally true. And it, like you said, it puts me now as I become the judge and jury over scripture. Yeah, right. Now, this is what's kind of crazy. The first thing that these evangelicals strongly agreed with mm -hmm. was the Bible is the highest authority for what yeah. I believe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Well, what are they doing? They're smuggling into that. Yeah the parts of the Bible that I think are literally true. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Right? Doing nothing... This is the same thing Thomas Jefferson did yeah. when he literally cut out... Everything supernatural in the Bible, he cut it out, and he was just left with a book of morals, and he said, yes, this is my Bible. Yeah. I want to stand... Which is better than a lot of politicians today. They don't even want the morals. Uh, I would take some Thomas Jeffersons. You know, I'd Give me some <laughs> Thomas Jeffersons back. At least take the morals. But 
that's that's a slippery slope. Yeah. You know, one generation does that, the next one throws the whole Bible out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? One generation says, "Yeah, I know it, the Bible says that we should go to church, but it doesn't really matter for us. I know we should honor the Sabbath. It's one of the Ten Commandments, but that doesn't really matter for us. We don't have yeah. to do that. We can play sports. We can do all these things. We don't have to go to church. And then the next generation, the, ch- the children, will just throw out the whole Bible, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Not just the parts that you didn't like. Yeah. <clears throat> so, obviously, as Christians, we believe in the inerrant, infallible Word of God that is sufficient uh, for everything we need for life and godliness. So we don't need to go to any other source that the Bible is the only thing that we can, the only um, standard that we have for faith and practice. Mm -hmm. And we want to keep coming back to the Word of God. And so we're going to be in that, hopefully in that top 75%. We actually believe the Bible is true. Mm. Now, I I just want to say, yes, you know, it is interesting that 75%, thankfully, do believe that it's more than, it is literally true. However, as we get to some of these, these other questions, in terms of these cultural questions, obviously, even though they believe that, they do not believe it is sufficient. Yeah. yeah. So you might be able to say, oh, yeah, I believe it's true, but it, it's not sufficient to actually speak to what we're we're facing today. Yeah. So you can see there's a gap there. Even you can you can state that you believe it is it is true and inerrant or whatever, but then you can also state, but it's not sufficient to really address yes. what we're struggling mm-hmm. with. Yeah. Or, or, so yes and amen, and or you're ignorant of other issues. Yes. Like yeah. you, just, you don't know how to work it out. Right. You don't know how to wor- work it out. Like, do you believe we're fearfully and wonderfully made mm-hmm. by the hand of God in the womb of our mother? Mm-hmm. Right. If you believe that, then it's going to come with some implications right. for what you believe about life, what you believe about life in the womb, uh, what you believe about lots of things. One, God created them, male and female. Mm-hmm. Male and female, he created them. And this brings us into um, some of the ethical issues that this study, and this one, again, um, uh it's pretty alarming, right? Did you have all of the, I don't know where, the gender identity is a matter of choice. Did you have the U.S. finding for that one? Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay. What is it? So gender identity is a matter of choice. The so, U.S. So pause for one second. Gender identity is a matter of choice. What that, that statement is referring to is I can change, I mean, basically, I can change my gender. I can decide what my gender is, my gender identity is, right? So that this is a new social construct that we've come up with. This gender identity thing, I can change that. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. In 2022, 42% of U.S. adults agreed. In 2022, how many? 42%. 42% in 22 believe that a person can change their gender identity. Mm-hmm. All right? And... What about uh, evangelicals? So the evangelical, um, 37%. Mm. No way. Only 5% lower than the secular culture. Wow. Okay. Almost 4 out of 10 evangelical Christians believe that gender identity is a a matter of choice. Mm -hmm. 
So how does so how does this actually come streamlined to schools and things like that? Does it start with the political party and then work its way down into schools where then like the schools with the parents and they're approving of these things where then this does go up higher? Yes, that's that's a great point. So I'm gonna say it comes from the top and it comes from the bottom. Mm. Okay? The bottom meaning grassroots LGBTQ plus uh, affirming people. Mm-hmm. Okay. The top, I mean the academy. So the educate so gender theory, queer theory, all this kind of stuff. It's, it comes from the top. It starts as a philosophy, right? In humanities departments and gender theory departments. I mean, we have gender theory and uh, majors in college right now. Mm-hmm. So it starts up there, and a lot of this comes out of other branches. You know, other branches of how, what is the self? How do I find myself? You go. Remember, we go in and find the self. The self is somehow internal. Mm-hmm. My identity is somehow internal in here. I got got to go find it. Well. LGBTQ plus people grabbed onto that kind of philosophy. They started teaching that sexual identity is somehow inside me that I go discover. Mm. Even gender identity is somehow inside that I need to go and discover because I feel I'm a man who feels like a woman. Mm -hmm. Where 20 years ago, a person would go, no, it doesn't matter what you feel like. You are a man. So suck it up, Mm -hmm. buttercup. You better just live on. Like Mm -hmm. nothing you can do about it. Now, this is what's interesting. So we've got philosophies coming from the top down. Yeah. Then we've got grassroots involvement uh, below, which today looks like LGBTQ plus um, marketers mm-hmm. pushing TikTok videos, pushing Instagram videos, pushing um, all kind of stuff on YouTube. You've got all these young kids now being influenced by it. It's mm-hmm. the cool thing to do. It's yeah. now you want to be unique. You got to have a unique sexual identity. What's your pronoun? What do you do? And so that is the grassroots movement at the bottom, right? They're in, they become influencers like LGBTQ plus influencers from the bottom up. They're grabbing on this top philosophy that they think sounds intellectual. They think it sounds good when it's really vapid. It's just, there's no foundation to it. It can, you can pick it apart fairly easy. And then you've got politicians in the middle of it. And then you've got marketers and economics and, uh, corporate corporations who they're just wanting to sell stuff. And then they push the law, right? Well, the, the politicians can push the law because mm-hmm. they're wanting the votes from all these LGBTQ plus people, right? right? They're wanting to look, well, I'll use the term woke because that's mm-hmm. the, the term today. They're, they're wanting to look woke. They're wanting to look progressive. Um, and so they're going to start pushing the laws and doing those things. you got corporations. They're wanting to uh, market and sell product. And so they're going to market and sell product to this to these people. And so it's pushing all the way through. Then you've got these kids who are seeing these videos. Um, that's their Bible nowadays, right? Yeah, that's their Bible. They're going watching these 15 videos. 15 second clips. And you know, yeah. like I'll just use, I'll name one. Like Jojo Siwa was this funny dancing, cute girl with big hair bows and she was selling hair bows and my kids watched her. And then all of a sudden she's getting a little older and all of a sudden she transitions or I think she changed her. She became a, a lesbian and then I don't even know what she is now I know she's gender something in there so but and all these little all of her followers have been watching this right whoa my daughters were wearing the big bows right mm-hmm. they're influenced by her and so now all the now these girls whoa well I think I'm maybe yeah, yeah. you know what maybe I feel that way too mm-hmm. I, I want to be special too I maybe I'm confused too yeah right and then what do their parents do when that kid comes out well if you don't have a standard 
If you believe your child is innocent mm-hmm. and your job is to stand back and let them become the person that they want to become, yeah, right? If you believe in that noble savage that we talked about earlier, well, then you just, okay, honey. Oh, you want to, you want to mutilate your genitals? Yeah. All right, we'll go do that. Oh, you want to take hormones? That's the loving thing to do yeah. is let you become who you want to become. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to stand back here and let the children... This is literally um, um, Lord of the Flies, yeah. right? The adults, are, the adults are gone and the children are running the island, yeah. right? And so now you've got this gender-confused child. Oh, some of them have had surgery, which guarantees they're going to have a horrible life, yeah. constantly on medication, constantly having surgeries, constantly having infections, that they're going to have a lower quality of, of, of happiness in their life. Mm. The suicide rate before transition and after transition is the same. Mm. Transition and having these su- surgeries has, has uh, no positive effect on mm. a, a person who's gender confused. The studies show, well, now you have a gender confused child who's been mutilated and all this kind of stuff. What are you going to do yeah. as an adult? What are you going to do? Well, you, you're going to change your view. Even if 10 years ago you believed that gender identity was not a choice, it was either given biologically or it was given by God, well, now I've got this person in my home who's a testimony to, yeah, I guess it does change, right? So many times, even Christians, you got a child that comes, you, you send them off to public school or they're on TikTok all the time and they come home and they say they're gender confused. Christians cave to that pressure yeah. because it's your child. Yeah. So what's a what's a good point with like um like having like apologetics to be able to have some language and truth, but then also be able to like love your kid without just saying no, and then they and then they go off and venture on their own and figure it out and you know. Yeah. Well, we, we can't. That that's going to be too long of a podcast. Okay. We could we could table that for another podcast mm-hmm. because there's there's a lot of good ways to do that, but. There, there's also, you can also, 100%, you don't need to be overly sensitive. Yeah. <laughs> like, you just don't. You mm-hmm. can you can literally say, nope, that's not real. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, you might be feeling confused. Guess what that's called? Mm. Puberty. Yeah. Right? Your hormones all over the place. You're really confused. There's a lot yeah. of issues, and especially if there's not a, a strong male presence in the home, and yeah. that, that adds to it. So you can say, nope, you're not. And you can get Christian counseling, go to your pastor, mm-hmm. go to the word of God. God made them male and female. Yeah. Right? The Bible doesn't talk about how we feel inside. Yeah. We feel we're sinners. We're broken. So we're going to feel all kind of different ways. Mm-hmm. Right? So, and, and I, I hate to make this analogy, but when we, when we have this idea that there's a noble savage inside and we just need to let him out, and, and most of the time people are only talking about their sexuality. Like, if a person is an abuser on the inside, do we want that guy to let that person out? Mm. If a person is a rapist on the inside, if a person is a murderer on the inside, because oh. the murderers, yeah. some of them, serial killers, make these same arguments. Mm-hmm. This is who I am. Well, they're picking and choosing from Scripture what they want, so that's, that's a whole other topic. <laughs> well, so we have to have a holistic biblical yeah. worldview. We have yep. to understand God doesn't make mistakes. We, we are in the right body. Mm-hmm. Um, we are an embodied soul. Yeah. Right. And so we and and that means male has maleness. Your soul has maleness. Female has females. Your soul has femaleness. There's male qualities. There's female qualities. There is masculinity. There's femininity. The Bible tells us specifically in Second Corinthians to that femininity for a male or, or what's a, what's the actual word there is a sin, right? It, it's it's a sin. Um, 
oh, what is this? What is the term? I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, effeminacy. That's it. Effeminacy. Effeminacy is a sin. Mm-hmm. For a man to act like a woman, that's a sin. So, anyways, yeah. we got off on it a little bit. Yeah, maybe a, maybe a simple way of a- answering your question is, is ultimately we always say that culture always flows downstream from your religion. Yeah. So the religion that this flows down from is a rejection of a true and living God and saying that, well, no, really, there is no God. I'm material, we're material. Yeah. Thus, it's flowing out of this humanistic thought of somehow because there's no uh, you know, original sin, really we got all kinds of potentials, human potentiality. Yeah. We know what's right and wrong. See, so now we're making, you know, we're, we're making these decisions. We know what is right and wrong yeah. for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And when Rousseau, Rousseau, Rousseau is, is kind of coming, he's kind of coming full, full, uh, uh, kind of fruit, the, the fruit is coming out of his, his idea. And that is that he said, you you know, reality is whatever you think reality is within your own soul. Mm. And so if you think within your own soul that you're a female when you're a male, that's reality, you know, when yeah. you reject the living God. And we know, apologetically, why do I get to do that sexually, mm-hmm. but I can't do that with other things? Yeah. I can't do that race. Mm-hmm. I can't do that with my age. Yeah. I can't do that with my socioeconomic background. Right. <laughs> or, yeah, or, for sure. Or I identify as a millionaire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can yeah, I, me would, too. Would you, I'm with you. Let me borrow 500000 But listen, so this is what we're doing in our culture. I identify... <laughs> As I'm a male, so I identify as a female, so I demand and expect the culture to respect, honor, and treat me as I identify, okay? What if I identify as a millionaire? I want the culture, I want my bank, I want my lenders to treat me like I'm a millionaire. Yeah, I agree. I want the world (laughs) to, right? Or like whatever it is, like because there are people that are trying to make the same case racially, like... I'm a white man, but you know what? I identify as a black man. I mm-hmm. want you to treat me as a black. Why does our culture only allow this in one area? Yeah. And that's sexuality. Mm-hmm. Because we're inconsistent and we worship ourselves. We worship our sexual our sexuality. Yeah. yeah. Right? That's why. And, and our sexuality is a false god. Yeah. So it, that's why it doesn't make sense. And here's how another reason you don't make it. it we're going to close on this. Okay. This is the last one we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about abortion. And we're gonna inc- we're gonna end on an encouraging note because mm-hmm. most evangelicals get this one right. Hmm. And do you have the statistics, Kevin, for the general culture on this general one? General culture. I, mean, I want. I would like that. So, Scripture teaches that personhood uh, begins in the womb. That that life begins at conception, is as we say it. So when the when the egg is fertilized, that that God in a supernatural way knits the soul to the body. That is a new human life. That is a new human being. And therefore, the practice of abortion is the murder of a human being who is in the image be- is an image bearer of God. Okay, yeah. um, this was brilliantly proclaimed on the Joe Rogan podcast by I think Seth Dillon, the guy who uh, CEO of uh, the Babylon Bee, a couple weeks ago, and just he just annihilated Joe in a debate, and he did it. Because Joe always wants to get emotional, and Joe always, well, what's about this girl who was raped? And this, four, what if my fourteen-year-old daughter was raped? And and Seth just stayed out of the weeds, and he said this. He said, um, the taking of a innocent human life is always morally wrong. The taking of an innocent human life is always morally wrong. Abortion takes the life of an innocent human being. Mm-hmm. Therefore, 
abortion is always wrong. Mm -hmm. That's a syllogism. Three lines. Very simple. It will help you get through all of the abortion debate because that's what we're talking about. Now, here's what's interesting. When we say abortion takes the life of an innocent human being, we mean a child who's never committed sin. We're not speaking mm -hmm. like we were before. But what's interesting, the world, the culture says, 70-something percent says children are innocent. Mm -hmm. And yet, how many, what's the percentage that thinks um, abortion is a sin in the culture? Do, we, do you have that number? 53% of U.S. adults. 53%. So 53%, so 70% believe that that child is innocent and 53% believe mm -hmm. that it's abortion, which I just want to say, so when does that child, when does that innocent child become an innocent child? Mm -hmm. At what point, right? At right. what point? It's so asinine to me. But I said we're going to end on an encouraging note, and this is why. 91% of evangelicals agree that abortion is a sin. Mm. And that is up from 87% in 2016. Yep. So just in the last six years, that's went up four, four points. And I'm praise God for that. Yeah. Praise God for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's good news. So, this some key findings here from the state of theology. You can find this at thestateoftheology.com. There's a lot more things you can go into and you can nerd out. Um, hopefully we hit on some things that can help you think, you know, this is probably the way my kids are being influenced. This is what's happening in my missional community. This is what's happening in the culture at large. I'm going to let some of this stuff kind of influence the way that I'm preaching and the topics that I'm preaching on. Um, because we, we, Jesus is Lord. He's Lord over all, not yeah. just, he's not just our savior, right? Yeah. And so we want to submit all of our life to his lordship and live obediently to him in this culture that we're living in. So hopefully this was interesting to you. Hopefully this was helpful. If you got any questions, please email me at justindean at sacredcitychurch.com. We love you guys. We thank you for listening. We ask that you would share us, like us, text it off to a friend. Uh, the more, the merrier. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon.